Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may bring labor, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as there was, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to Yahweh. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, Yahweh, look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Let's pray one more time. Gracious Heavenly Father, reveal the sense of your scripture to us. Remind us that you are a loving, good, and gracious Lord, and that we have enemies who are vile, malicious, and would desire only our harm. But thank you that you have brought us out of such a domain of darkness into the kingdom of your Son. But give us aid to both speaker and listener alike to give attention to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last time we were in Exodus, Yahweh, and I, I read Lord as Yahweh just to highlight the contrast between the God of the Israelites and Pharaoh. Um, and, and just not to be different or cute, I might just continue to read the word Lord throughout the book of Exodus with the word Yahweh because that is the word that it represents, and it is his name, as we learned a few weeks ago. And when we did look at that, we saw that Yahweh had to overcome quite a bit of Moses' skepticism and opposition to the thought that he is actually called by God to be the human deliverer of Israel. 
Moses gave forth quite a few objections, but nevertheless, Yahweh, the Lord, convinced him in a matter of speaking uh, that his error is unfounded. And so now he has sent Moses and Aaron to Egypt and to Pharaoh, and now they're before Pharaoh. And if there was a thought in Moses' mind that because Yahweh was going to harden Pharaoh's heart and this deliverance was going to come by rather quickly or somewhat of a walk in the park, this chapter is an immediate letdown to those hopes. When God says to Moses, I will harden his heart, not only as we learn does he show, Yahweh show that he has sovereignty over uh, people's hearts, but when God hardens the heart of his enemies, his enemies harden their heart to God's people. If I were to say someone's heart has been softened to somebody else, you would understand that to mean that somebody has a, a kind or a, a favorable disposition to somebody else. If I say that Sarah hardened her heart to Mary, you're going to know Sarah doesn't like Mary. <laughs> or she has literally made strong her will against Mary. It becomes very apparent here that when God says he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, it immediately gets harder for God's people. I don't know if Moses un understood that, but that is the case here. When God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and he does so here, immediately there is opposition and further affliction for God's people, just like there were in earlier chapters with the infanticide against the Hebrew baby boys. The showdown between Yahweh and Pharaoh doesn't begin with the first plague in chapter 7. The showdown between Yahweh and Pharaoh occurs right here in chapter 5 when Yahweh makes himself known by Pharaoh's mistreatment of the Hebrews, of, of the Israelites. And it becomes clear that Pharaoh is a Lord. He is a sovereign who's not easily willing to give up his workforce, his labor force. He is an enemy and an adversary who doesn't easily give up his captives. And as we walk through this passage, we're going to see that Pharaoh's mistreatment of Israel is, is right in line with our enemy's mistreatment of Christians today. The entire book of Exodus is a historical fact, but also used in the Bible to say, your deliverance in Christ is like this. Your deliverance in Christ is like being in slavery to sin and brought out by a powerful hand of God. Your deliverance from Christ is like the Passover lamb and Christ the chief Passover lamb. And there are many, many metaphors. After the Exodus, there's a time of wilderness journeys. And Peter says, we are, ex we are exiles in this time until we get to our, our heavenly glory land. And if, and if that is the case, which the Bible makes it apparently obvious, Pharaoh represents our enemy, the devil, our adversary. 
And everything in this chapter shows what the schemes of the devil are to make people's life miserable. That's what he desires. Whether saved or unsaved, he desires to make people's lives miserable, harmful, bitter, hard, toilsome, discouraging. So as we, as we walk through this, this is life under the tyranny of the enemy. Some of us, most of us in this room, have been brought out of such tyranny into the marvelous light of Christ. And so we can look back on this and should look back on this with a bit of gratitude. We were pulled from a domain of darkness in which we followed the prince of the power of the air who was at work in the sons of disobedience. We should have hearts full of gratitude that we are no longer under such a master. The other side of the coin is, for those of you who are not in the Lord, this truly is your master. Uh, Jesus makes no mistake when he says that the devil is the non-Christian's father. (laughs) That's the Lord of glory and the Lord of love speaking, the gentle and lowly good shepherd speaking, that the devil, the adversary, who prowls around like a roaring lion, is the father of the non-believer. You need to flee that kingdom. If you are not in the Lord, you need to fly from that kingdom as fast as possible by asking for the Lord to get you out of the grips of the enemy. So as we walk through this, yes, We're looking at Pharaoh's mistreatment of Israel. More importantly, we're looking at the schemes of the enemy, the adversary, and how he, if he would, how he would have his way over you and I. So first off, notice how Pharaoh just proudly dismisses Yahweh. He just pridefully dismisses the words of Yahweh that come through Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and they don't even get in the courtroom (laughs) before they screw up what Yahweh told them to say. Yahweh in chapter three told Moses what to say to Pharaoh. He said in 318, say this to Pharaoh, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. They didn't say that. They said instead, thus says Yahweh. They're throwing it down, like right out of the gate. Yahweh actually intended a a fairly respectable king-to-king somewhat dialogue. But they say, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That's it. They just throw down the ultimatum. And when Pharaoh says, I don't know, Yahweh, they actually have realization hit them and they say what they should have said, but even then not completely correctly. So they throw down the gauntlet in verse 1. Pharaoh says in verse 2, Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice? 
They say, and a little bit more accurately now, according to 3.18, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. But this is again where they get wrong. They add to the God's word and they say, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. God never said, say that. He didn't say, add that. He did say, tell Pharaoh, I will smite his firstborn. But Yahweh issued no threat to Pharaoh that would fall upon the Israelites if Pharaoh didn't concede. So, in a sense, Moses is right. He doesn't know how to speak. He screwed up. However, despite this bumbling introduction, it doesn't absolve the Pharaoh from his blatant pride who says, who is Yahweh? I don't know Yahweh. This Pharaoh's, like many sovereigns in the time, like many, uh, like most of the kings of the time, saw themselves as the embodiment of their gods, divine incarnate kings. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, viewed himself as an independent sovereign deity. He was a divine figure both in his eyes and in the eyes of other Egyptians. And so even though his sense of self is completely inaccurate, Pharaoh is not a Lord. He is not a God. To Pharaoh, to other Egyptians, and maybe in the back of the mind of some Israelites, this is a, this is a showdown between two deities, two divine figures. And it is interesting why, Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? He does have a logical reason not to obey Yahweh if Yahweh has allowed his people to be in slavery for over 400 years. And he views Yahweh as a weak and impotent God. He's not threatened by Yahweh. This is just another God from the block. He doesn't worry about Yahweh. Now, he will come to eat his words soon. But as his own heart, which has been hardened to Yahweh, responds, it is, I don't, I don't worry about anybody. That, that's pride to the highest degree. So he completely dismisses him, says he has no time for him. The enemy, your enemy, would desire the same, that you would dismiss Yahweh, that, that any talk of worshiping God, being delivered from sin, would just be dismissed. That the enemy would, would pluck the seed from the path as quickly as it fell down, that he would rage against the kingdom of light to stop it with the most strength he has in himself and, and pride, pridefully just dismissing and causing us to think there's nothing else in life other than work. That's of the enemy. That redemption would be a pipe dream. Have you ever thought I'm too bad of a sinner to be saved? Or have you ever heard the words 
I don't think I can be saved. I've, uh, I've done things that no one else have do has done before. I remember I was working in Verizon and uh, my coworker said, I was evangelizing to him. He said, there's no way, there's no way God would love me. I said, why? Why would God not love you enough to save you? He goes, I one time ripped a page out of a Bible and I rolled it into a joint and I smoked it. I said, so? You think that's going to keep you from grace? There are many, for one, there's many other worse things than that. And, and two, that's a thought from the enemy that someone is so far gone that Hebrews is wrong, that he won't save from the uttermost. That's a Pharaoh thought. That's an adversarial thought that we are past being saved or we should just dismiss the thought of worshiping the Lord because that isn't for us. That's a thought of the enemy. Notice also, as this story goes on, Pharaoh not only dismisses the idea of worship and salvation for Israel, he also, in response, makes life burdensome for Israel. This, we see this in approximately verses 4 to 8. After Moses and Aaron come into the courtroom of Pharaoh, Pharaoh dismisses Yahweh and their plans and, and Moses and Aaron. Pharaoh has a response, and his response is simple. Get back to your burdens. That sounds like the enemy. Get back to work. I don't want you ever thinking you can ever leave this place. <laughs> Get back to your straw. Get back to the bricks. It says later in the chapter, make bricks. That's your job. That's your law in life. Pharaoh makes life burdensome. How does he make life burdensome? Well, he says, for one, forget about that. These are just lazy Hebrews. They're just idle. They have, verse 5, they have populated the land so, many, so much that they are numerous and that the work is not enough. So let's increase their work. And if they're idle enough to think about taking a vacation in the wilderness to worship, let's ratchet it up a notch. Let's make them make bricks but we'll make them gather, gather their own straw. So the straw was being brought to the Hebrews and, and they would form because of the, uh, the land and the lack of clay. They would need straw to form bricks and the, and the straw was brought to them. But Pharaoh says, you get your own straw. You want to sit here sitting on your thumbs talking about worship? No, 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 no. You go get your own straw. Later on in verse um, 12, there's no change in the agenda, but it does say that uh, the people were gathered throughout all of, the land of, all of the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. That word for stubble just refers to the, like, the inch or couple of inches shooting out from the ground after the straw has been harvested. So Pharaoh, what a bully. He says, get your own straw, but essentially you're not going to get the straw and harvest these crops. That's going to be harvested, gleaned, and you need to come in afterwards and pick up with your own fingers the little stubble 
And with that stubble, I want you to maintain the same brick quota I had on you before. And, and by the way, archaeologists have shown, scholars have shown, this is exactly how pharaohs ran it. This is exactly how pharaohs did it back then. So pharaoh made life burdensome for them by making them gather their own straw and by telling Israel in verse um, Verse 9, this is lying words. This idea of you worshiping in the wilderness to Yahweh, that's a lying word. This idea that you will ever leave this place is a lie. That's burdensome. That's the work of the enemy. He wants you to think Christianity is a lie. Faith is a lie. Heaven, hell, there are lies. There's nothing else in this life other than what's in front of your nose, and that is work yourself to death. That's what the enemy wants you to think. And this isn't like Protestant work ethic, good work kind of stuff. This is no work yourself to the bone lot debt kind of fate. We have a maybe from the enemy himself, we have a, an idea that the devil is um, mean, but he's fun. And God is good, but he's boring. You can see that on Looney Tunes or movies or whatever it is, right? Uh, one, one angel here, one angel here kind of thing. That's far from it. The devil doesn't want you to have fun. He wants you to die. He wants you to work to death. He wants to burden you down. And what does our Lord say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all who are under the power of the enemy by the fear of death, come unto me. This is a, this is a battle between Christ and the enemy. And the enemy would like it nothing else than to distract you from worship the highest privilege we can possibly be called to, worship of the living God, knowing Yahweh. He wants you to say, don't worry about that. Get to work. <laughs> Get to work. I, I'm sure many of us have had supervisors in our workplaces, which we, but <laughs> this is maybe overstating it, but in a way were satanic. They were like, don't worry about your break. Don't worry about vacation time. Don't worry about your pay. Get to work. Flip those burgers. Build that house. Do whatever. Okay? That's the enemy. Okay? I know it's kind of a, a funny illustration, but that's the enemy. And into the realm of real life, he would have us think that there's nothing else to do in life other than work or have pain. Pain is normal. Harm is normal. Depression is normal. There's nothing else other than that. And when Christ comes on the scene in the New Testament and he's healing lepers, giving sight to the blind, and he's showing that's life. Life is being made whole. Life is joy. Life is being able to run when you were a cripple. Life is being able to see when you couldn't see. Life is being able to hear when you couldn't hear a note of the piano or the lyre or whatever. That's life to the fullest. And the enemy would say, no, you're meant 
to be burdened and burdened only. And then lastly, Pharaoh shows himself as a merciless dictator. He makes merciless demands in verses 14 to 18. Once Moses and Aaron came in his room and this started going, he said, okay, you need to make bricks. I'm not going to even help you make the bricks. Gather your own stubble and straw to do that. He put the taskmasters of the people and their foremen in charge. So the taskmasters were Egyptian slave drivers. They were Egyptian slave drivers. The foremen were elevated Israelites. They were Israelites who were slaves, but elevated to position that they were watching over, giving oversight to the more menial slaves. So when Pharaoh commands them, make bricks, he commands the taskmasters and fellow Israelites, see to it, they do this. Don't have any leniency on them. Make sure they get that quota. That's all they're here for. But what happens was, um, starting in verse uh, 12, they go out to the land, gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And then the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, this is verse 14, were beaten. How was Pharaoh merciless in this? Two ways. One, he beat his, ta- his for- foremen for Israel not producing the brick quota. Okay? So he didn't beat the Israelites who were actually forming the bricks. He beat those who were serving him. Pharaoh beat those who were serving him for not getting others to serve him as, they, as he wanted to. So as they, in the second way he was merciless, is continuing in verse 14, they say, why have you, excuse me, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? This is, this is Pharaoh, why they were asked. And then in verse 15, the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? If they suppose that any leniency was going to happen to them because they were actually working for Pharaoh, they soon realized, no, it didn't happen. They were slaves, just the same as anybody else. They were not going to get any leniency by any means. Merciless, Pharaoh mercilessly beating the four men And when they come and cry to Pharaoh, he says in verse 16, make bricks. Don't you get it? That's all you're here for. You have no life, no identity, no purpose. You're here to serve me. Make bricks. (laughs) That's the enemy. That is the enemy. What is my purpose in life? I don't know what I should be. I don't know if I'm useful for the kingdom. And the thought comes in your mind, you're not worth anything. 
That's from the enemy. Kyle, you will always be a low, down, dirty, rotten sinner and nothing better than that. That's a modern day translation of make bricks. (laughs) That's all you're used for. That's all the enemy wants you to believe. You're there to serve his purpose and he will not hesitate to stab you in the back for not completing his kingdom. The Jews were there. They were helping him build. They were helping. They were doing all the work, literally heavy lifting, helping him build the pyramids. And the minute they could not do what he wanted, they cried to him and they received no leniency. The enemy will stab you in the back faster than he fell from heaven. He has no love for you as a Christian or as a non-believer. Everybody in this room, the devil is a hateful entity. He is an adversary swallowed up in hate. He doesn't love anybody. He doesn't have compassion on anybody. There's not a fiber cell in his angelic being that would ever be moved to tears because of your state. He would rather smush you like a boot onto an ant than ever feel any compassion towards you. And that's that's Pharaoh. Make bricks. (laughs) That's all he wants. So the foremen come out of Pharaoh's courtroom, if we wrap this up here, and they run into Moses and Aaron. This, this whole chapter, the front end, Moses and Aaron are in Pharaoh's courtroom, and, and then he sends word about this, this change in the brickology. <laughs> and then plans come into place regarding making bricks without straw, the foreman getting beaten, crying out, getting no answer. Moses and Aaron, verse 20, are there waiting for them as they come out from Pharaoh. And the foreman say to them, Yahweh, look on you and judge. They are ticked. (laughs) Foremen are ticked. Because you have made a stink. By the way, we'll get to that later, but that same word in Hebrew is used throughout the next couple chapters about the plagues and what they do to the town, to the, to the empire of, of, of Egypt. The whole place stinks. Frogs and gnats and flies and all that stuff. The whole, you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And this is the first time. Actually, it's not the first time for for Moses, it's the first time maybe for Aaron, at least the Bible records, that he's going to get used to grumbling Israelites. And, and rightfully so. This is, this is a hard lot to be dealt with. But I want, to, I want to conclude with one observation, and that is how drastically different Yahweh's response and plans are to Pharaoh's. The adversary would desire people to be enslaved. And Yahweh would have you be free and worship. He is a savior. The Lord is a savior by nature. He loves to save. 
He loves to show a strong hand and bring people out of bondage and to save them and set them free. He's a savior, Pharaoh, an enslaver. Secondly, Pharaoh gives burdensome work. Yahweh gives rest. Pharaoh, the enemy, just wants to make your life burdensome. Yahweh, Christ, wants to give you rest. In verse 5, when Pharaoh says, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens, the same root word for rest is the same root word we get Sabbath. Yahweh knows pain. He knows burden. He knows what it need. He knows that people need rest. He knows our frame. He, he, he's mindful that we're dust. He's created us in the room. He, he, store, he, he stores up our tears in a bottle. He knows us thoroughly and he knows joy comes from rest. And again, not sitting on your thumbs, passive, not doing anything rest, but active spiritual rest. And then lastly, the foreman come to um, the foreman of Israel come to Pharaoh and they cry out, "Why do you treat your servants like this?" And what do they get in response? Make bricks. <laughs> in chapter three, the people of Israel cry out to God. It says, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Your cries don't move the enemy one iota. However, when God's people cry out to him, he hears, he sees, He remembers and he takes notice. The God of all creation, the Lord of glory, who's infinitely higher and more glorious than us, hears our cries. The enemy won't hear any cries. Yahweh will hear your prayers. So I'll just conclude with this. If you are not in the Lord, the Pharaoh's cruelty for Israel is a a sliver of the cruelty the enemy has towards you. And flee him. Flee that kingdom. Satan doesn't love anybody. He wants to use you to build up his own kingdom just like Pharaoh and the Jews. Doesn't love anybody. Flee him. Flee him. Fly from his kingdom. Take the offer of salvation by Christ, which you've heard probably maybe many, many times, or maybe even the first time. Don't delay. Listen and flee the enemy. And for those of us who have fled by God's grace. Be grateful. This is not your Lord, the Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not your Lord. Your Lord is a gentle, lowly, meek 
yet powerful, sovereign. He understands how you're made. He understands your troubles. He understands your heart. He knows you more thoroughly than you know you. Be grateful that he has taken you out of Egypt in slavery to sin, powerfully situating yourself in him and seating you in the heavenly places where he sits, enthroned, ruling over all. So may we be people who are grateful that God hears us, he doesn't forsake us, and who has definitively saved us so we will never actually ever go back into that slavery again. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are better than we can verbalize. You are more kind, more gracious, more willing to save than we can articulate. I, I, I do pray you would expand our ability to under, understand your gospel that we would understand ourselves more sinful than we think we are and you more kind than we already know you to be. You are strong, you are kind, you are loving, you are forgiving. Impress upon our hearts the reality of your gospel and may it move us to tears to to worship you and with gratitude praise you and with sympathy speak to others still trapped under Pharaoh and tell them that there is a, there's a good Lord who will receive all who come to him and he will not cast any out. He will not refuse any. We pray this in his name, Christ's name. Amen. You can stand for our next song.